You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. We are just tickled to be with you this morning. <laughs> it's Brad Gray. And Nathan Sather. That's right. And uh, we are going to move into our second segment. We're co- having a conversation with Emily Reese uh, regarding the ACS study. Good morning to you, Emily. Good morning. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks for accepting. We, we yeah. appreciate that. How are you? Um, so tell us, first of all, a little bit, Emily, about yourself, where you're at, what mm-hmm. you do, and, um, and, and all those good nuggets. All those good things. Yep. Well, I'm located in the Indianapolis area, and I work for ACS Technologies as the strategic consultant for mission insight and ministry advancement. Oh, and what's your business card look like? That's got to be like, <laughs> a, I know, like a right? small novel. It's very tiny type. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so I work in our area. We have a product called Mission Insight, and ACS Technologies has been in business for more than 40 years, providing technology solutions for congregations and parishes, archdiocese, annual conferences in the United Methodist world, presbyteries in the Presbyterian sphere, and so forth. And so the Mission Insight product that I work with is a demographics platform that enables us to pinpoint to very specific census block locations some of the attitudes, faith beliefs, lifestyle profiles, and other demographic information to help churches be more focused on their mission field. Hmm. So how might a church use these studies? What, what, what sort of things are you, you looking at? Because those, sure. those are a lot of words that, that I'm not using <laughs> on an everyday basis right there. <laughs> right. One of the things that we often joke about when we do presentations is, we know you're really thrilled to be talking about demographics today, <laughs> but we do try to unpack it for people. So this is things like the ages of people around you, it's their attitudes, some of the things that they have in their purchasing profiles. So one of the inputs to our system is the experience mosaic profile. And this is just a way for Experian, you know, the credit bureau, to mm-hmm. categorize and group people for a number of things. So to think about, do we own our home? What kind of media do we listen to or watch? What kinds of things are we spending our money on? What are our priorities? And so that gives us a picture of the community in a way that is not just about how old are they and where do they live, but really specific details that help us understand some of their psychological or psychographic profiles and then the ways that they spend their time and their money. Hmm. So for the church, I'm sorry. No, no, please go on. Yeah, so for the church, it's important for us to understand that environment because it's really important to be able to speak to people on their level Mm -hmm. and relate to them about things that they really care about. Right, because we can talk about all sorts of things that we think are important, but if they're not actually impactful to the people we're speaking about, then it just kind of goes right right beyond them. Or if we're not kind of entering into what what resonates, right? Like, it's important for us to to kind of... um, not to change the message, but to to suit it to to the listeners so that they can they can hear it and receive it, right? Correct. And it also helps us to understand who is in our neighborhood. So 
obviously many parishes and churches really want to go after that all-popular young families group, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But in some areas, there just aren't many young families to minister to. And so that helps churches understand and sets some expectations, maybe opens up some new possibilities. I worked, for example, with a church in the Atlanta area a few months ago, and we unpacked some information for them about the people who were living all around them. We realized that within a 10-minute drive of their location, there were 3,400 single moms, and there was a very significant population of people who had not completed a high school education. So when we talked about that, they began to think, well, what could we do? Maybe we could do some GED training. Maybe we could do some ministries for single moms. And so it helps us to really think through how do we not only tailor messaging to specific people groups, but also ministries. Yeah, and I had a a similar experience. Uh, Some uh, friends of ours live in the pure South Dakota area, and Mm -hmm. I don't know if they used the study or not. I assume they didn't. But they found out that there was quite a large population that was not elderly and not able to drive themselves to church. So they actually bought a bus and they started trying to coordinate times to do pickups so that they could actually take rides and give people an opportunity to actually come to the, the church service. And I, I went to that church service and I thought, how would you know that mm-hmm. if you didn't like have some way of engaging folks and finding out what the needs are and then trying to address them? And too often... I, I like a, a charity group from the Acton Institute called Poverty Cure, and they talk mm-hmm. about how often we attempt to do charity because we think we're doing good, but oftentimes our good isn't even good. It actually can hurt people if mm. we're not mm. you know, focused and actually trying to meet people's needs. And so when I hear what you're saying, it's like, oh my goodness, I get excited. Like This is a chance to actually find out what the needs of your community and your area are so you can actually bring Jesus and the gospel to folks, not what you think people need. Exactly. That is exactly the point. Well done, Nathan. Oh, don't, don't and well don't, done, Emily. Don't, too. Yeah, don't give me. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, and did you get follow up from the Atlanta area? Like, did they have some successes in actually strategically tailoring the, their their gospel mission to the needs of their community? Well, that is on my follow up list. We sure. did that in December, mm. and so it takes mm-hmm. a few months often yep. for yep. churches to really implement these ideas. So, yeah, I'm at the let's follow up with them and see what they've done with that yep. stage right now. Yeah. So one of the cool things that uh, ACS has done is they created a series of reports uh, based on the religious beliefs and practices of Americans. Can you tell us a little right. bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the American Belief Study has been in existence for more than a decade. And what we're doing is looking at the beliefs of Americans over time at four different data So we've got a baseline, and then we've done additional studies that give us a sense of how things are shifting over time. And so these new reports have been released, and we've got six that are already released. We've got three more that are in the queue that will be coming out over the next few months. And so what we've been looking at is people's religious beliefs, preferences, and attitudes and then some ministry suggestions for churches that they could think about in terms of what's the mindset of people around them. So we looked at 15,000 people, and we surveyed them 
to get their perspective on their beliefs about God and Jesus, their religious preferences, say, I'm Catholic, I'm Lutheran, I'm nothing at all, Mm -hmm. or um, what are the things that they'd be looking for if they were to visit a church. Hmm. Hmm. So uh, how long ago, you said this was done 10 years ago? Well, we began in, um, yes, we began in about 12 years ago at this point, and so... Uh, there was a data point also in 2017 and another one, the most recent version and the results that we are publishing with the new American Beliefs Study report was um, the survey was conducted in December of 2020 and January of 2021. Mm. So you can imagine where people's mindsets were at that point mm. in time, just based on right. the COVID pandemic situation. Yeah. So, so I mean, this is a pretty cool, a large-scale, longitudinal study. What are some of the yes. interesting um, facts that, that or the bits of data that are coming out of this? Yeah, we are always excited to see what that says. And some of the most interesting things, and for me the most encouraging point, honestly, is that all generations that we looked at, and we looked at four generations, from oldest to youngest, and thinking about their responses about beliefs in God and Jesus, the one that was most pressing upon my heart is they believe that God is love and that God invites us into a loving relationship. And I think that's a wonderful place to begin a conversation with anyone about faith. Amen. When, when when you talk about like a, a data point like that, is that just like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm making up a number? Obviously, but like 65 percent of people claim that, or what what what's the actual data point to that that you just shared? Emily? Yeah, there there are differences among the generations, sure. and the most the highest is with the silent generation. So that's the generation born before 1945, hmm. and they believe at that uh, just under 70 percent level. The boomers believe at about a 66%. The Gen X, that's my generation, uh, just over 60%. And then the millennials at about 53%. Mm -hmm. So even though it's declining as we go through generations, there still is a majority of people who believe that God is love and invites the world into a loving relationship. And I think that's really important for us to remember absolutely so uh with with are, you're working with churches uh particularly sharing this data uh, are you mm-hmm. are you finding that that there are some kind of creative ways of integrating this this information then uh, in terms of how that church outreach is like um you know i i suppose again kind of going back to what nathan was saying earlier like Mm-hmm. What is the need? The, well, or, and what are the the open doors? Right, the God. They understand that God is love. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. how do we how do we utilize that then in reaching out? Right. Right. So, I think one of the things that we hear a lot is the negativity toward Christianity, and that's the sort of the not so pleasant news in this report. Sure. One of the things that is believed across generations also is that belief in Jesus does not require participation in the church. Mm. So this lone ranger sort of mentality of, I can believe in Jesus, but I don't have to be connected to a local body of Christ. And 
that I think is a challenge for churches because there are a whole lot of people out there who have that attitude, or there are many people who are not participating in a church at all. Only 64% of Americans identify as Christians, and so that leaves a big hole, right, for those of us who are trying to reach to people and think through, well, how do we speak to a group of people who don't identify as Christian? And then in terms of faith journey, um, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, eclipse the Roman Catholic faith as the one that people claim most readily. So they have no faith. And and, and I'm going to have to stop you right there. We need to get uh, Mm -hmm. to a break, but we'll come back on the other side of the break and talk a little bit more with Emily about the meaning of some of this, Dad. And you're listening to Real Presence Live across the Real Presence Radio Network. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sapo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. In addition to eye exams for children and adults, Lumen Vision provides custom contact lens services for patients with keratoconus, severe dry eyes, and hard-to-fit prescriptions. These specialty contact lenses can be made for single vision, astigmatism, and multifocal prescriptions. For more information about Lumen Vision's contact lens services, our website is www.lumen.vision. This is Jake Warner, the State Deputy of the North Dakota Knights of Columbus. I was asked to explain if someone were to come to me and and ask why should they become a Knight of Columbus. I can answer from my my own experience, uh, and that would be um, becoming a Knight of Columbus has made me a better Catholic. It's made me a better uh, husband. It's made me a better father. It's made made me a better man. There are so many things about the Knights of Columbus that young men are really looking for, and and they don't understand it's just as close as as their local church. Becoming a part of of the Knights of Columbus local council uh, opens up so many doors for you. In a society where people are known to be loners and going their own way and, and trying to figure out what's going on around them, the Knights of Columbus provides you a family, people that you can go to, resources that you can reach out to, ask questions of, get encouragement from, uh, not only spiritual encouragement, but, but all kinds of things. Spring brings the promise of new beginnings. The season reminds us that a new life is always around the corner. We can take inspiration from this and create a little spring of our own by remembering a life that was dear to us. A memorial gift of cash or property is a wonderful way in which to perpetuate the memory of a loved one. Please let us know about a person or persons you would like to remember and the best way we can honor them. For more information, please call Mike at 701-290-4503. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. You're listening across the Real Presence Radio Network. I am Nathan Sather, and I'm joined by Brad Gray this morning here in the Fargo studio, and it's a huge blessing to be able to have you. We're joined here in this segment by Emily. Uh, is it Reese or Ricci? Reese, uh-huh. uh, who joins us from Indianapolis. She works for ACS Technologies, which is 
doing some excellent work and trying to get uh, churches and other areas of life some data to help us understand what uh, the reality of Christian life is here in America through uh, a decade-long study that we've been talking about in the first segment. And we kind of cut you off. I apologize for that. Breaks are breaks, and we gotta we got to get into those. Um, but do you want to start back up? You're talking about uh, like 64% of, of folks identify themselves as Christian. You talked about nuns being a, a large growing segment as well. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, among the millennial generation, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, would be the highest group and then would be Roman Catholic. And traditionally in the U.S., Roman Catholic has been the one that has been at the top of the list in terms of people's profession of their faith. Mm. And so that's an interesting situation for us to be in. And of course, we've been watching that trend over decades, right, as participation in mass or worship attendance has been waning over the last few decades even. But as we think about people having no faith at all, Hmm. um, that creates a language barrier, a conversation problem for things like, how do we describe the Eucharist to somebody who has no concept of that? Right. And I often will watch things on TV, like Jeopardy sometimes has questions of faith or the Bible, and people just kind of stare blankly. Uh, Or Jay Leno on The Tonight Show used to have the Man on the Street interviews, and they talked about Christian holidays, and people had no concept what Easter was, or they confused it with Christmas. Or uh, So those are the kinds of things we're up against in terms of how we communicate with the world. Things that we used to take for granted in a Christian society, in a post-Christian society, uh, we have a lot more explaining to do. Well, and the importance of data, I really do think, is lost on a lot of, at least, you know, in our faith tradition, the, the, the Catholic tradition. Uh, I One of my better friends is a Southern Baptist pastor, and they did a study mm-hmm. back around this time this one started, if I remember right, around the 2010-2012 time. And it was mm-hmm. if the first person in a family is the person who converts from, from the nuns to Christianity, what's the likelihood mm-hmm. the rest of the family, the children, the mom, and the dad all become Christian? And if it's a child that uh, comes first, it's 3%. So the child mm-hmm. is the first person in a family to become a Christian. There's a 3% chance the rest of the family will become Christian as well. With mom, it's 17%. With dad, it was 92%. And so when I found out about this, I was working in youth ministry. And was, obviously, I'm mm-hmm. not saying we shouldn't have uh, female ministries or children's ministries. But if we really want to be successful at making the culture more Christian, we need to focus on male-centered ministries. If you, if you get dad first, you know, imagine if it was the opposite way. Imagine if it was Coca-Cola, right? Coca-Cola did mm-hmm. a study, and if the first person in a family to drink Coke was the kid, only 3% of the rest of the family would drink it. But if dad was, what would their, their, their marketing and their, their targeting be directed towards, right? It would all be Absolutely. towards dad. But oftentimes, that's the one category in a parish-based ministry that's left out. We do a really good job with youth. We do a really good job with, like you said, the young family, which is a very you know hot topic. Get the young families, mm-hmm. get the young families. How about, how about you just get the males? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and to me, that was, that was data-based. And, and so I'm, I'm very pleased to, to support a male-centered ministry here that we have in the Diocese of Fargo called Made for Greatness, and it's based on that data. I want to be as mm-hmm. successful as possible. And so I'm curious, you know, you're talking about these different numbers and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. 
Uh, what, what do you perceive in the future? What are we going to be able to accomplish with data like 64% of folks identify themselves as Christian, meaning 36% of folks don't and that sort of a thing? Because I think people do want to, to be successful, and data helps makes us, makes us be successful. Right. So I think a big part of what we're facing as Christians is the discipleship dilemma. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and how do we help people transfer faith from one generation to the next? And even our study would suggest that the older generations have a deeper and stronger sense of faith than the younger generations. So there's been this drift, if you will, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's an important thing for us to think about. How do we help younger generations with that sense of belief? There were other studies that would suggest that children, if you help them make a commitment to Christ before the age of 17, that is going to be a lifelong commitment, and then that's why there are so many people who are focused on children's ministry, mm-hmm. so that if they can help them to have that solid foundation, well, and even the scriptures say, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. So those are some of the important factors that we think about here as well. So Emily, I just want to turn it for a moment uh, on a personal level. So how long have you gotten been working with this, and, and what's this like for you as, as a Christian, as someone who clearly uh, values their faith? Um, wh- what's this like to, to be in, in the weeds here and, and to be able to kind of pull back the veil in a certain sense on some of this stuff? Yeah, it's fascinating. I've spent more than 25 years in ministry at various levels. I am a United Methodist by denomination and grew up in a Christian home and was taught those ways of the Lord as I was growing up. And so for me, in serving in ministry, being able to tap into resources like this to help articulate the important data points that would help people understand that this is both science and art and faith and communication as we are thinking about how do we help people. It's tremendously gratifying to be able to help unpack that. And when I'm in the midst of a presentation with a group explaining some of these things and see their eyes light up and kind of the light bulbs go on over their head metaphorically, Mm -hmm. it's really, really gratifying. I I can only imagine. I'm kind of curious too, you know, as we're we're all experiencing like culture is changing so rapidly with Mm -hmm. advances in technology and just uh, you know, expectations of people and, and just the way that we engage with one another. I assume that, you know, some of the ways that you, those, those um, points in time, the, the check-ins of, so, so to speak, of this, mm-hmm. this group of people, uh, I imagine there have been kind of new elements that you've been integrated over the, the yes. lifetime of this study. What are some of the things that you see coming in the future that might be yeah. kind of new things you're tracking? It's interesting. We have been in conversation with our research partner about just that. And one of the things that we've been looking at, and in fact, we incorporated into the study in 2020-2021 timeframe, was questions about COVID. And so we found that in terms of people's ministry concerns and life concerns, COVID-19 was the absolute number one thing by far, bar none. Mm. But then right after that was social and religious tensions. Mm. And 
so then we were talking about the George Floyd situation and the aftermath of all of that. And so that's part of what was in the psyche of people, fear of the unknown, fear of the future. And so those were things that were high on people's minds. Um, one of the things we've tracked over the years has been the expectations of people when they would attend a church. And one that has been at the top of that list over all three times that we have fielded this survey, uh, warm and friendly encounters. If people visit a church, they want a warm and friendly encounter, mm-hmm. and that's higher than quality sermons. Uh, and so if we're looking at the top three, that would be warm and friendly encounters, then quality sermons, then traditional worship. Now, defining traditional worship, <laughs> very different <laughs> depending on are you Catholic, are you Protestant, sure. are you... Did you grow up in a um, church that's non-denominational? And their tradition would be more of a rock band kind of a thing. Sure. Uh, but one of the questions that we wanted to get to unpack this idea of warm and friendly encounters, which we figure is regionally different as well as denominationally different. So we asked a question that we thought would get more at the root of that. And we said, so... The opportunities to build relationships, would that be an important factor? And so that turned out to be the number five on the list of things that were important to people. So we need to go in and ask more questions about these fears of the unknown, the warm and friendly encounters, opportunities to build relationships. So we're right now crafting a follow-up that would be in the field this year to then help articulate some of those points a little more clearly. I, I love it. We're we're coming to the end, Emily, and I just I find this so fascinating. I'm sure that many of our listeners do as well. Is it possible for people to go and access uh, the results of these studies themselves, or how how does someone find out more about this? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. So, AmericanBelief.com is the place where we are releasing these surveys. The study reports are available for free download. And there are six of them out so far. The next one coming out is about uh, practicing Christians and those with no faith, tradition, or belief at all, and the contrast in their attitudes and beliefs. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for your time. It was a huge blessing. Again, AmericanBeliefs.com is where we can go to get that. Emily, thank you so much for spending time with us today on Real Presence Live. Brad and Nathan, thank you so much. You're very welcome. And on the other side of this break, we'll talk about St. Anne's Living Center and some of the amazing things that are happening there. Stay tuned. You're listening to Real Presence Live across the Real Presence Radio Network.